Welcome to Rogue Bogues, the In Conversation series. I'd like to welcome back Ian and Ben Cook. Um, we've done numerous podcasts regarding iCook Foods, the Victorian government, so on and so forth. So check back for those if you're foreign to this episode. It's a horrendous story and um, a lot of corruption involved, a lot of uh, different rabbit holes to go down. But welcome back, gentlemen. Thanks, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. So I guess a lot of people are asking, um, a lot of time between the parliamentary inquiry, which in itself was was a bit of a shit show um to now where are you at what's going on well it's like i've always said the um this parliamentary inquiry is asked left more questions unanswered than ones that it did answer but some of the things that did come out of it apart from john benny uh, admitting to serious crimes under parliamentary privilege the report that was handed down uh, basically referred everything to iBAC and also to um, the Victoria Police. Unfortunately, I'm not sure about um, the arm's length of those two organisations from this government. Well, the other thing is nothing, from what I understand, they gave the whole spiel um, before the parliamentary inquiry about, you know, what's said cannot be used in court. It's kind of contradictory. Like you, you're at a parliamentary inquiry, you're supposed to be there to tell the truth. Yet they're saying what you say here cannot really be used anywhere else, technically, um, word for word, verbatim. But that, that just starts the process with a, with a stench. Well, you, I think I mean, other... I'll just jump in there right. and say you're right. You can't use what you get out of the parliamentary inquiry because that's what the parliamentary privilege is there for. But as it's uh, been told to Dad and I over this past two years, three three years in February you can't unknow something. So when it, when it does get to court and when questions do need to be asked, no, you can't use what's been said in the parliamentary inquiry, but you can draw on what you do know to utilise that, to, to get them to admit it in a court of law. And you know, if, if you go looking through the things that Garlic and, and Benny and Johnson said, there's plenty of things in there that we now have contradictory evidence you know, to what their statements to the court were, you know, to what they said to the inquiry. I mean, why the inquiry didn't follow up down those lines of misleading parliament, contempt of parliament, you know, when there's clear evidence that we supplied, you know, it just, it baffles me. Can I also say that my understanding of parliamentary privilege as well is that it can't be used against them in, in, in another forum. But if you, if you admit to criminal offences, it's no trouble for the police to go say, you've admitted it. They then go and um, and use that and the, um, if you like, any other corroborating or supporting evidence. Let's just have a look at it. We we have the metadata that shows Elizabeth Garlic tampered with that video footage to ensure a prosecution of myself and the company in court, in, a, in the magistrate's court. Now, the police know that. We gave them the evidence. And all they've got now is corroborating evidence from John Benny and Leanne Johnson that yes, they did it. The other part about that too is the whistleblower, Rogerson, she came out and she told um, she told everyone early what Elizabeth Garlic had done. Now you have all this other evidence saying that, that Kim Rogerson was right. Um, the biggest problem we have here is the police are doing nothing. Um, the committee voted on party lines, so they had a watered down response 
one person that should be called out is, well, two. Uh, Georgie Crozier has done a fabulous job, um, but Matthew Bach stood up in the parliament and absolutely caned uh, Sutton for lying to the parliamentary inquiry, but he wasn't called out on it by a majority. Well, we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. Around the parliamentary inquiry, could, <clears throat> let's say, let's say um, you're in court and somebody, they made a statement during the parliamentary inquiry, which was a lie or something that's useful, and that question is asked, can they just hide behind saying, I can't remember now? Can they, because that's technically not a lie, this is my question. Like they've, they've put stuff on the table at a parliamentary inquiry, could they go the I can't recall route or I can't remember that was a while ago, but hang on a second, sir, you said this at the parliamentary inquiry, can they can they cite that or you can, can they not? You can't, you can't cite the parliamentary inquiry. No, no. Hold on, hold on, no, 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 no. The parliamentary inquiry is a public record now. What they said is on the public record. It can be discussed, it can be talked about. It just can't be used against them. So if you, if you, if Robert Richter puts Sutton on the sand and says this, or, or better still, puts Dr. Bone on the stand and says, Dr. Angela Bone said in the parliamentary inquiry that there was no one report. That was in the first inquiry. We then got her in the Supreme Court and she said, um, oh no, there is a report and I've seen it. Uh, they've now said in their pleadings after the, after the cost me a fortune to get that report, they've now changed their defence and they've said that that report is not the report. Now, everything from the, from the parliamentary inquiry, if you're cross-examining Bone, of course they can. You, also, the department are quoting in their defences, they are quoting the parliamentary inquiry. So it's all on the public record. It can be used. The thing is, it just can't be used against the individual. Like, I can't sue her for what she said. Which is amazing in itself. It's for the average punter that I've never really watched a parliamentary inquiry till this one, to be honest with you. I think most people are probably in the same boat, zero to maybe one in their lifetime. I mean, who, who can sit there and, and, and stomach that? For I mean, I had to turn it off. I'm not going to lie. I, I told you that I, I watched and listened to about 60, 70% of it and then wanted to poke my eyeballs out and headbutt a wall. <laughs> but you, you just think like, it's all a show. It's all. It's. It's. If nothing really can be used to an extent of, of prosecuting these people from what they're quoted of saying to an extent, even if there's, you know, some murky waters that you can you can kind of maybe use it. That's just a, a slap in the face of democracy. And, Don't have the inquiry. And when and when you have yeah, when you have the yeah. the outcome of um, a majority report and a minority report, due to the the committee having different members. Clearly political. <laughs> it is clearly political. And as we now know, because of Operation Watts and IBAC, you've got uh, the Labor Party don't speak out against the Labor Party. So they, uh, when, when we say they're going down party lines, they hold the party line. So if the line in the committee was make sure that I Cook Foods doesn't get a majority report in their favour, they're doing everything, no matter what my dad said, no matter what Kim Rogerson, Ray Christie, doesn't matter what anyone said, what evidence was tendered, they were always going to hammer their party line. End of story. The other thing to remember there, Andrew, is that the parliament itself, so the parliament itself, they can, they can take the information that they've received through the inquiry and they can use it against them. So um, if people had actually cross-examined 
Sutton properly and, um, and gone through the fact that he lied about suppliers and he lied about the Christie report, etc., in the first inquiry, then the Parliament of Victoria could censure him and have him on contempt charges. They're the ones that, ha that have the... They're, they're the police, if you like, in this situation. The fact that they're not going to do it is because Daniel Andrews has the numbers. That's what I'm saying. They've got the they've got the party numbers. They've got the party. They've got the room. They've got the yes. room. And, and now we've seen another independent rollover the last couple of days for the pandemic bill. So that's the problem. They've got the majority. Um, and it's even if it was went to that, like okay, let's 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 bring this forward and see where it goes. It'll get voted down anyway. So hmm. you're kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place. But I just think as far as democracy goes, this parliamentary inquiry stuff, for, not just for Aquac Foods in general, is the biggest waste of time because nothing really eventuates you had clearly had all the labor mps saying no we see nothing wrong here you had, you, then you had the minority port of, of the liberals and the non non-labor for the most part that weren't in bed with labor said no there is a problem here it's like it's, it's clearly political it's got nothing to do with um, truth lies honesty all that kind of stuff and that's what's disappointing as a taxpayer as a regular punter looking at this you're like shit like why is my ta why are my taxes funding these people this is ridiculous yeah no i totally agree you know, this, that actually leads us into people listening and writing to their local members. So because this all, our situation um, is like the small story telling a larger story of corruption and what's wrong in Victoria at the moment, and because it, because it all started with Community Chef, which was set up with federal money, and there's a lot of links back into um, federal legislation, what we really need in Victoria is a royal commission on one of these issues. And because ours was funded federally, there is a good reason for the federal government to set up a royal commission that is not tainted with the, peop with the um, political situation in Victoria. That way you would get to the truth, the real truth. And, and Erica Betts, a senator who's been fighting for information regarding the, the setup of Community Chef, has still after I think two different uh, two different occasions now in committee uh, hearings, has asked for the paperwork from the department federally, and uh, and they continually come back and say, oh, we can't. It was a long time ago. We can't seem to find that. We'll need to go back. And on the second time, he called it out and said, we talked about this last time, and now we're six weeks down the track, and you still can't find it. And he, and he quoted, you know, information that that he's found himself. And he sat back and said, if I can find this and I'm not the department, maybe you should look a little harder. They clearly don't want what, what was said at the time out because we know and, and it will be exposed. Yeah, but the other, the other problem is even if you do get it, the fact that they can redact items out of there, citing you know, personal information, um, information that's confidential to an individual, it's a load of shit because we've seen, we've seen documents come out where <clears throat> 89, 90% of it is... Black. Redacted. Like it's <laughs> yeah. just it's like why waste the ink? Well, just, just send the one page, just just cut and paste what I can read, it'll fit in one page. Yeah, just send one page that says we have redacted from page one through to three hundred and twenty two. Exactly. But <laughs> even redacting in a democracy is, is something people so so Royal Commission in, take me through how do those steps start? Is is that just literally from from um you know constituents writing to their member and then, then they get enough support or, or petitions signed? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it's all about. If you if you get enough people, if you get enough people talking about uh, the need to get to the truth in this matter, then yes, then then the, the the government of the day is effectively forced into doing it. Now, 
for the life of me, I can't see why they wouldn't want to do it. You know, I have a letter, you talk about redactions, I have a letter that was posted to us by Anthony Albanese's office. So when they started Community Chef, we wrote to them and we outlined the problems and we outlined what we thought would be, would, would, which, what we thought would happen. As it turns out, we were absolutely right. Took, they have been wasting money for 10 years and there is money gone missing. Now, that was, the, that was $9 million of federal government money that was used in an organisation that ended up taking out two private enterprise companies, employing a total of 121 people. Now, uh, now, that was 2009, you said, right? Yeah, 2009, they took out ISS Catering. Um, 80 jobs in Kensington were lost. They were the biggest player in the market at the time. We survived until we were taken out in 2019. But Anthony Albanese wrote to me, and, uh, well, what his advisor wrote on behalf of our, um, Anthony Albanese, and he, and he literally said, I'm going to put you in contact with the project manager so you two can work together. He assured us that it wasn't going to damage the business or the market, etc., etc. Now, they didn't email that back to me, even though I had originally emailed them. No, they sent me a paper copy. And I was told, the reason for a paper copy is they think you'll put it down and lose it. Hopefully. Well, we didn't. We, so you, yeah. still have the, you still have the letter today, right? We still have the letter, I, yep. I, I have that with me. It was, there it is, uh, right in front of us. Gordon McCormick, the acting general manager for local government programs on the 4th of June 2009, wrote back to, uh, to you and said, uh, here's all our responses from on behalf of Honourable Anthony Albanese. Um, and I'll quote the line that you were referring to there, Dad. The council's project manager is aware of the concerns of I. Cook and has committed to working with you to find ways that your two companies can complement each other. Well, <laughs> the compliment did not ever happen. And, we never, uh, heard, never heard from them. We, we actually contacted the CEO of Community Chef when hack funding was changing and said, would you like to work with us to see if we can make sure the status quo stays the same in Victoria, because Victoria had quite a different system to the rest of the country. Uh, he, he came down with his chairman and they spent about an hour and a half defending why they were set up in the first place. And we didn't even ask the questions. We just said, forget it, let's move on. Uh, no, anyway, we, we now know from their board papers, everything else, what a threat we became to them. Um, and we know about the tenders that were pulled, etc., etc. So because we have all that information, I think we've uh, had a chat about this before between Ben and I, I'd invite Anthony Albanese to come down and see the evidence we have of what that money was used for. And if he's serious about looking after workers, if, he's, if he is serious about, um, about good, what do you call it, core labour values, then he will come down and he will be, and he will have a look at it and he'll see it. Maybe you could have showed up to a barbecue uh, last weekend, though both, both <laughs> the uh, people you needed to talk to were there. Well, I, th I, th I think you should post that letter online for everyone following this case. I think it'd be, it'd be a really good opportunity for people to see in writing that letter because I think it's an important part of this considering how early it was in this process. And even they said, look, don't have any concerns. It'll all be okay. We'll introduce you. And I'll, I'll do that. I'll post it on Twitter and I'll, uh, I'll let Anthony Albanese know as well. I'll, I'll tag him in and say, do you remember this letter? Because <clears throat> only yesterday he put out a tweet himself saying that 
Only a Labor government will deliver powerful, independent and transparent national anti-corruption commission, one with teeth, one able to initiate its own investigations, one that can investigate matters that occurred before or after its establishment. Good. We'll go back and start with your one in 2009. Yeah, with the asterisks of they will be Labor MPs or former Labor MPs on that board, most likely. Yeah. <laughs> job, job for the boys. But And Albanese, you know we'd, we'd love to have Albanese on, Rogue Bogue. So this is an open invite to Albanese and Daniel Andrews, whoever else wants to come on and discuss this topic. Happy to have you on and, and hash this out in a public forum. But I, I, I don't think that phone's going to be picked up if, we, if we're ringing. So, yeah, I'll well, post you know what? that let's, letter. Um, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say, you know what, Anthony Albanese, let's st stick to your word. Let, let us show you all of the information so that you can make a, a value judgment about what happened to you, the money you gave this organisation. Yep. Well, yeah, I can't put that letter online. I think people would love to see it. Yeah, uh, sure. All right, tracking back. So just let us know where you're at. Um, everyone wants to know post-parliament inquiry. What are, the, what are the dates looking like? What's the next step? I mean, it, there hasn't been a lot reported in the mainstream media for obvious reasons. I think... Myself and Sam Newman's podcast are probably the two main forums you go on to, to discuss this where people can hear about what's going on. But give us a progression of, of where we're at today and, and what's next in this, in this long line of uh, debacle. Okay, so currently we were supposed to, there was supposed to be a mediation in December. It appears that's been pushed out. What's happened is that um, lawyers for Dandenong City Council, because remember we're suing the Department of Health and we're suing Dandenong City Council because... Elizabeth Garlick and Leanne Johnson were acting as agents for DHHS when they came in and did what they did. Now, what they've done is they've, they've come back and said, oh, well, you haven't given us this and you haven't given us that, so we can't mediate, um, we're just gonna push it out. And it's just one of those ones where if you took it to the court to try and fight it, the court will say, oh, well, maybe they're right, maybe they do need those documents and this, that. You know what, anything they want, we'll give it to them. Um, there is, there are a lot of documents involved in all of this. You know, you can go to a mediation with the amount of information they already have. They don't want to. The modus operandi of this council is what you do is you frustrate, you, you delay the system as much and as, you know, as long as you can to try and send the person who's having a crack at you broke. Yeah, or, or stress leave, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I know. Yeah, I've been told some horrible things about uh, what this government thinks that it should do, and um, and causing emotional distress uh, is the other angle. You know, if if you make it emotionally distressing enough, they'll just give up and go away. So they are not. You know, I anyone out there Google model litigants and see what your governments are supposed to do if they end up in litigation. And they just, particularly this go, they just don't do it. It is just slow down, frustrate, stop, try and send them broke. There is an election coming forward as well. So, you know, they, they probably want to try to get that done after the election, most likely, right? Um, I don't think they want this uh, anywhere near the election. Um, so if they can push it off as much as possible, then they can try and hide it and get it past the election so that they deal Once with it. Once they're re-elected, yeah, then it's re like, ah, it's just, a, just something that happened in the past. We'll tick some boxes. They might even settle at that point. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it's, you it's, know what, it's, Andrew? it's crazy. Um, we, um, had, uh, we had a meeting um, a few days ago with our legal team. So currently now with the, with the two cases that are running in parallel, we have a joint legal team. So the main legal team in the first case is headed up by Robert Richter QC. So I've got Robert Richter, 
I've got Dr. Michelle Sharp, who's a barrister as well, PhD in law. Between the two of them, they cover all the areas we need to cover for misfeasance and administrative law and, uh, uh, and what we're suing the department for. And then we have Tyson Woodcock and Nathan Sterling. Now, Tyson's a barrister. Nathan's a, an instructing solicitor for Tyson in the auditor case. Um, and I was sitting listening to the different views of, of these learned people. I'm thinking to myself, we are actually very lucky. We have, we have a, a team of five legal people that really know their stuff and they are completely committed to us, not just because they're, you know, because they're paid by us, but because they can see what's going on and the wrong here. So they're doing everything possible to ensure that we aren't skinned alive financially and they want to see it go all the way through. Now, Richter's one of the best, right? He's, he's yeah. lauded his... Is it, when, when, when he uh, came on board, I actually asked Michelle, um, Dr. Michelle Sharp, I said to her, you know, I don't know much about Robert Richter, you know, um, I've read a bit, I've seen the notable cases of um, his past, is he as good as they say? And she said, put it this way, Ben, as a cross-examiner, he is possibly the best Australia has and if you are in the witness box and he's cross-examining you, he will have your heart in his hand before you realise it's left your chest. Now, that just sent me cold thinking, oh, done. <laughs> I wouldn't... Where do I sign? Excellent. That's great news. Um, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be um, sitting on the receiving end. So, you know, I look forward to Dr. Sutton, Dr. Bone, Garlic, Johnson, John Benny. Look forward to having Robert Richter come at you. Now we've, we've we've discussed this before with with the retired officers that have joined you, your team, people that are helping. I know for a fact because I went through a small case with VCAT, obviously uh, well noted with the potential house building Bo Morris. No matter how good these barristers are, they generally are strategic with cases they take. They they not, they're not going to take a case, at least the, the the big boys, the ones that are high up, that they think look this isn't making sense, there's some lies, I don't really, I'm not comfortable with everything you're telling me, I don't, I don't know if I can defend you, or I've only got a 20% chance of winning. I know this for a fact, because I was, I was told this by, by my barrister, is the other party's barrister in the Bo Morris case, before the court case even was close to mediation, was like, man, you always get the easy ones. So they, they, <laughs> they know, they know even pre by reading their documents. So my point being for everyone out there listening is these people don't take cases on to clear their fingers just to take them. They take cases as well strategically that they know they're going to win and keep their record at 99% or 100. And if there's lies along the table, they're just going to back out. So this just reiterates that the case that, that you guys have built um, should be complimented because I think it's, it's genuine, it's honest, and it's the truth. I think you're spot on in that sort of summation of those elite high-level barristers work their ass off to get themselves to the top. They don't want to then jeopardize those those Yeah, you taint yourself by taking some case that's... Correct. So what I was most impressed about is our initial meeting with, uh, with Robert was his ability to get his head around such a massive case. Ours has arms and legs, whether it's VicPol, whether it's the council, whether it's the department, whether it's community chef, there's legs and arms and tentacles coming off it in each and every way. And his ability in just a small amount of information that was given to him in a summary document, he was already able to ascertain sort of the crux of the key points and flesh that out in, in initial 
sort of engagement with us and that that was so impressive because some people we spend hours trying to explain it to and they start to get their head around it and really sit he's he got it in an instant and it was amazing and there's so many yeah. ten, there's so many tentacles to it, right? That's the problem. It's the squids in the middle, but there's so many different tentacles that that lead to the middle, right? You can't just go down one one rabbit hole or one path like the slug or or John Benny. It's it's all it all kind of is forming, and it's just there's so many branches of the tree. It's just you yeah. know it would be hard for most people to get their head around because where do you start? You know, and, well that's the point. You yeah. you have to start. I mean, you can chronologically start, you can start back in two thousand and nine. Mm. And then you can follow that through to, to different things that happened along the way in, in our own line of work of, of what we did as business to then what Community Chef did as business to the culmination in, in what occurred on the, the week of the 18th, 19th and our closure to the subsequent charges of, of Ian, the company. You know, it, it is just huge. And, and getting your head around that, I mean, if, if Dad and I sat you down, you know, you'd need 24 hours straight and uh, and even then, you you'd probably spin. you'd, you'd he- a your head spinning, and you'd be sitting there going, "Well, this raises more questions. What about this? What about that?" Yeah. So yeah. So what? Um, so Robert did get his head around it, and Robert is very good. Um, in fact, both of them, Robert and Michelle, in their own different ways, are very good at um, cutting to the chase. You know, getting to the nub of the matter, which is important. So we had that initial meeting with Robert that Ben's just described to you, and yes, he was he had done his research. Um, we had been introduced to Robert via um, retired detective Rod Porter, so Inspector Rod Porter. Rod, when he was in the armed robbery squad, had been cross-examined by, um, by Robert Richter several times and he said, even as a good guy, he said you felt like, yes, he was just getting right into you and making you say things you weren't sure you wanted to say. Um, which, and, and so it was that that made Rod impressed and Rod said, we really need someone like that on the team. Robert then asked for us to bring in uh, a, a, just a snapshot, a couple of the things that we say that we have in terms of evidence. So we took in the video clips of the slug, plus the circumstantial evidence that went with that, because that is what you, the slug is compelling circumstantial evidence is how police describe it. Then we took video clips of what we call the, the jacket, the sponge, a few of those things. Now, those video clips, when you, when you line them up against the, uh, what are the um, sworn statements of Elizabeth Garlick in the magistrate's court to try and charge us, then you see clear-cut perjury. And um, Robert Richter saw that and he said after he'd seen that, OK, that's it, I'm in. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting how it all formulates. But with your team, I guess just break break down how many people right now as a team are working together. Not just barristers, but you've got the retired police officers. You've got family, other family members involved. Take me through the number of team members you currently have. Take me through how much time you two gentlemen are working on this week to week, and and then as a as a whole, what hours are we looking at? Um, there's there's as a, as a core family unit, we've got about eleven immediate family members. You know that. Constantly, we all talk about it daily, and then, and and that being my father and my dad's younger brother Michael and myself being you know the three main sort of players who who talk about it, um, and then you've got the retired police. There's two main contacts, um, which is Rod and Paul, um, but then there is another four police that 
um, sort of not day to day or anything. But retired as well. They're yeah. all retired. Yeah. So there's there's about six more there, um, and then there's you know a handful, probably another five or six that are um, just people and close friends uh, and former staff who still stay in contact and still you know want updates, and then you know from that they come up with thoughts and ideas as well that might happen. And then there's people far and wide reaching who throw support our way, you know, like yourself, to um, to, to all sorts of other people um, via Twitter, via um, Instagram, all, all sorts of things. And it's it's really quite phenomenal the support that's out there. Yep. There is, and you know, if you go back in time a little bit, Andrew, um, uh, Paul Beatty and Rod Porter, the the the, um, but particularly uh, retired Detective Sergeant Paul Brady. He literally spent seven days a week for 12 months working with us, putting together the original brief of evidence, uh, and prior to that, putting together um, all of the evidence necessary for me to defend myself in the magistrate's court. And in fact, it was the work that he did going through it um, and, and where we told him we hadn't done anything wrong and he said, well, we have to prove that and he told us, you know, question everything, believe nothing and we hunted everything down. By the time I got into the Magistrates' Court on the 3rd of October 2019, I, honestly, I, I should have been worried, I would have thought, but I wasn't. I was completely happy. The, the amount of work and effort these guys put in and it is hours and hours, and they continue to. Because we already have a huge breadth of work done, as we go forward, there is, it's more you know, getting things together for legal, for discovery, for all those sorts of things. Um, but even today, as I speak to you, as when we're finished, um, Paul Brady's here with me, and we're going through more documents um, and another federal police complaint that we're putting together. So, yeah, there's... Um, there is work and, and, every week, hours of work, hours of work. When you talk about that brief of evidence, you know, it's not us collating evidence that, that we're, you know, writing up necessarily. This is their own evidence that they, they handed over to us in, in the court that we are just going through minute by minute, hour by hour of the body camera, the statements of what they said, and then what was actually done on site when Garlic and Johns were here. And it's their own evidence that shows them to be perjuring themselves, mm. breaking the law, not following any, any protocol that is stipulated. I mean, they, they were meant yeah. to be there and supervise the cleanup that was ordered. Not once, not once did they supervise any cleanup. And I'm talking about Garlic or Johnson, yet the, the guidelines say an authorised officer must be there. In a, I guess in a book, evidence-wise, it's continuing to grow, right? Like it's it's kind of fluid. You, you're probably discovering things along the way. Like back to your point about mediation, where they're like, "Oh, we don't, you haven't given us enough." Well, you're probably still finding stuff even two years on, right? Like where you're just like, "Holy shit, let's go down this rabbit hole," and then four more rabbit holes appear. And it's correct, just, yeah. Well, yeah. No. Ever done a dot to dot? Yeah. <laughs> As you start doing the dot to dot, you start joining those dots up and going. Oh, I didn't know his name before. Like, far out. Now that 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 makes sense. Now this document and this document come together. Well, that shows this. Yeah. Or you might get a random whistleblower that comes out two years later. Or you might have someone that told someone something else. You know, like and that's for people out there. Well, that's Ray Christie. Perfect yeah. example of that. I mean, Ray Christie came out, and that's what sparked off the second parliamentary inquiry. I mean, and you you sit back and you think, oh, 
anyway, there's lots of you get. Yeah. You can yeah. keep going you know, down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. And Ben's right. But I think the other the other thing that's interesting is um, at one point uh, a few weeks back, um, Paul and I had been talking about something, and I said, okay, well, I'll I will reread the original freedom of information that we got from the Department of Health with lots of redactions and things in it. However, rereading it, there was there was a simple email, and what happens is you read something the first time and you think, how does that fit in? And then something like Christie coming out and all of a sudden this email makes sense. You know, it, 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 it comes into context. So that answers what you were saying, uh, Andrew. That then becomes new information. So I was rereading this and I came across an email from uh, Dr Angela Bone, who is um, Sutton's deputy at the time. And she says to Dr Sutton, uh, on, on the night of the 20, on the evening of the 22nd, when they've closed us, she says that they have no, that there is no evidence of what this woman ate. Now we knew that at the time. So it's a single line. Now, how did she know to tell Dr. Sutton that? Because Ray Christie's report had gone in on the 21st and the 22nd to the department. So she's read that and gone, oops. And then this is bureaucratic, it's not my fault type stuff. So she writes to the boss and says, you know, there's no evidence. So at that point in time, what should Sutton have done? Should, yeah, should, he should have reopened us. He should have come in and said, sorry about that. Whoops, hang on, hang on, we need to fix this. But no, they went straight into cover-up mode. Yeah, so you were right. As, as we reread the volumes of documents we've got and we start linking things together, Yes, you're right. It becomes uh, it becomes clearer and becomes effectively new evidence. Considering you have so many uh, retired police officers and the case is building, the question still remains: is is where where is it, the chief commissioner? Where is the where is Mr. Patton? Where is all this going? Which then leads down a, a, a different rabbit hole, right? Well, I mean, yep. um, he was on three AW the other day um, and was asked by a, a caller what what the status was. And his response was that over 600 pages of evidence is with the uh, the Solicitor General um, uh, or, or the DPP, I can't remember now actually, um, and that was going to be an announcement he would make in December um, on, on the status of the inquiry, of, of the investigation and where it's at. Got anything more to add to that? Dad? Yeah, I think, I think what's important is on the three occasions, uh, the last three occasions, that Patton has been on the on the Neil Mitchell show um, in Victoria. He it, random people have rung up and asked about the status of uh, of our complaint, which is interesting. You know, some guy in Bright rang someone else. We don't know, and honestly, we don't know these people. But they've come in and said um, we're interested. We want to know. He's come up with three different stories. So the first story was um, it was with the commissioner that they'd taken extra and they were working on it, etc. And it was now with the Southern Commissioner. Um, then, he, then he went to... Um, what was the next one after that? Oh, then, then he was getting legal advice. And then the next one, as Ben says, it's been handed off to the, either the Solicitor General or the DPP. Now, they don't... The point about this is they don't have to make a decision like that. The job of the police is to say there is a prima facie case... There is a prima facie case um, against this person. Therefore, we need to bring them in and let them answer the allegation. 
and then they put it up to the court. They keep coming back and saying, oh, well, we've got to make sure it's beyond reasonable doubt, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. No, it doesn't. The job of the police is just that, prima facie case, which means on the face of it. It is up to the magistrate's court to decide whether it's beyond reasonable doubt. I'll tell you when it's going to be announced, Ian. It'll be announced, if, if it is, his, his, his December follow-up, probably December 24th, maybe at... Um, 3.49pm. Yeah, yeah, in the <laughs> afternoon or, or night time when you're unwrapping presents with the kids will be the, will be the drop. But um, it, it then leads on to another conversation of, of why uh, people in the DPP, people like Mr Patton, should not be aligned to government. And it's clear as day that he needs to be in favour with Daniel Andrews, the Labor government, or even if it's a Liberal government in power at the time, whoever the government is in power is at the time to, to renew his contract, to stay in that position, to maybe get a, a job for the boys down the line. It's, it's clear conflict of interest. And, and that's, that's something that as a democracy and as a society, Victoria, Australia, we need to discuss as well. You can't have, you can't have police, they have to be apolitical. They cannot take sides, period, even if their boss is clearly one-sided. And I think that's what we're seeing in this case is that three different stories in three to four months. I mean, he's clearly getting prepped by Andrew's advisors. Maybe it's PR guy, 17, or whatever his name is. Maybe it's one of them, who knows? <laughs> but he's clearly getting you know, a, a statement of what he needs to say at these press conferences. Hey, if you're asked about ICOG, just, just, just do this. And it's clear as day right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Out of all of this, there's a couple of things I, I would like to start, and I would really like to start a movement to push whoever the um, next government is, if it's this Labor one, I doubt that it'll happen, but for, for them to come through and say, from here on in, if, whether it's the Director of Public Prosecutions or the Chief Commissioner of Police, those two positions should be elected by a 75% majority of both houses sitting in a joint sitting um, so that no one person is aligned to those positions. So though the people who get those positions can honestly be independent and act without fear or favour. And if you don't do that, then democracy suffers. And we need to get the message out. Democracy is not a natural state. Democracy has to be fought for. There, is too, there are too many people in the world like the Daniel Andrews uh, who have greed and power in their mind. What we have to have is a separation of powers and it really needs, that really needs to be out there. I mean, if, you're ever, if there was ever a reason for a single, what do they call it, a, a, a single policy party, that would be it, in my view. And truth shouldn't be determined by political allegiance that's as simple it's as simple as that if you're determining truth by oh this might screw my labor buddy over or my liberal buddy or my greens buddy it's a mood exercise and well I think, that comes back to fear yeah it does but it's it's, <laughs> it's just it's it's blatant like we're being lied to every day um outside of this case you, you just watch the tv and there's just blatant lies about what's going on in the world with you know coronavirus numbers and this and that and that and this and it's like people are just like, oh, yeah, that's the norm now. It's just looked at as the norm. I think norm. the news cycle moves so fast that people, you know, you might get a flash in the pan of a story. But unless you follow that story up and actually dive into what, what is behind that story and, and, and what is actually happening, people lose it. And they're, they're too busy with their own lives that they just go, oh, well, well. There's so much information on. too. Correct. So it's, it's just an information overload. Clickbait, clickbait, read that headline, get outraged, and it's the next day clickbait. They've, they've, trained, they've trained everyday society into that. Just move on from that. And my question is, where are the good journalists? Like I, I long for the old 
80s private detective Cluedo <laughs> yeah. cigarette or cigar in his mouth you know just like pop the collar yeah, right in the staring you in the eyes like hey I've got I've got this on you you need to, you need to talk to me along for those days like they'll you know there were there were some of those um, when I played in the NBA like when I first got in the league some of our some of the beat writers were that old school mentality of like I ask you a question you better answer or I'm going to dig more onto you I'm going to I'm going to rip you apart exactly they're gone they're all even the media's tone company line government line you see how much how much well the government just announced they're hundred percent of the uh, they're getting a tax rebound, aren't they? The mainstream media because they've had a tough time through the pandemic. I would argue they've had the best time during the pandemic, <laughs> more eyeballs than ever. But they're losing them to to forums like myself, podcasters, to to people on Instagram, to people that are just live streamers, you know, yeah. yeah, and independent journalists like Rooksham. Right, they're, losing, say, they're losing them to them because people are like, I don't want to hear the story, I want to yeah. see it. So that's, that's it. And Rooksham cop, cop shit, right, for for his videos. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, Ian, but. He cops shit, but all he literally does is turns a camera on and follows. Narrates maybe three minutes out of each hour. Yeah, this is what's going on. And you watch it, you decide. Well, the interesting when when the CFMEU protests were occurring, you know, what month or two ago, um, I, I remember flicking it on and seeing Real Ruction had seventy thousand people viewing his uh, his live stream, and the age only had four thousand. Yeah. and I just looked at it and I said, "There's a stark reality." For mainstream media to to look at that and say far out there's a lot of people are following and watching that it just is and then is, what follows is a mainstream media spiel about rukshan being a sympathizer to far-right nazis and these these um but if, he, but if he actually spent the time and watched it he went and he went and engaged with the indian um workforce that was standing there at the SCFMEU protest there was he islanders went, there was Samoans, exactly. there was greeks I there mean, was everything there what part of, what part no. of that is far-right extremist Nuts. it's just it's ludicrous but I, but I think the important thing there is that the, um, the, the people who are, uh, that, that follow social media that see it and understand it, they, they, get, they get it and they get through the, the cut through. So when someone like The Age then comes out with a, effectively a political position to try and put the guy down, they, they see through the lies. But the problem and is that's the a small percentage. The whole point about what you do. That's a small percentage. Sorry to cut you off, Ian. The problem is... Our older population right. generally isn't on Twitter and Facebook, maybe Facebook, but they're not really adept to online for their news. Their news is turning on Channel 7, 9, 10, Sky News, ABC, whatever they tell me is gospel, whoever you support. You know, obviously, if you're leaning one, more, one way or another, you support a different channel. That's it. And that's the problem. That's the majority of our population. We have an older population. And this isn't a, a dig at old people, but it's reality, right? You're talking to it. Yeah. My, but, dad, my dad is not social media exactly. savvy. You know? uh, my father's a little bit, like he's gotten involved a little bit now in the last couple of years because you kind of have to, but I'd say 15% of our population or 20% if that is on, on social media daily to get their news, right? Yeah. That's a small number. Mm. So these other people see Rukshan, they don't know that he had 70,000 people watching his Facebook Live because Sky News or ABC said he's a, he's a far-right extremist and that's the problem. There's a huge divide in, in misinformation and look, it does go from both sides. At times, I've got things wrong and everyone's got things wrong but I feel like the, I'm just longing for that old school journalist. That, that's what I miss. So I you're, longing, miss, you're longing for accountability. Yeah, I'm longing for something that's, <laughs> that, that's probably never going to happen again um, but that they're, you know, and they, the thing with those old, old school journalists is when they, when they fucked up, excuse the French, they would write a retraction and say, hey, I, I messed up on this. Or you get an, you actually get a phone call saying, here's an apology. Sorry sorry about that. Where now it's like, I'm just going to hide for, oh, I need some stress leave for six weeks. I'm going to go overseas. Oh, I'm, I'm being, I'm being um, unfairly treated as a journalist because I reported on this. It's like, no, you made, a, you made a horrendous error and your article's clearly Wrong. cited. I want to read what happens. Like today, a house is on fire, right? 
media today for the most part, these journalists, house is on fire, but the guy, his political party aligns with this and we think it burnt down because, oh, that's a good reason for it to burn down. I don't want to know all that shit. <laughs> I want to know why the house burnt down, how it caught fire and if everyone's okay. That's all I want to know. I don't want to know anything else. Why hasn't Andy Medic come out and spoken <laughs> on his, uh, his oh. 3AW stint and said it was all about him and the pandemic bill? I mean, the, the police came out and well, said... Well, he doubled down. I don't know if... You did you, know that, did you see the double down? What is he, he doubled down the next day too, saying that, oh... The police were wrong with their statement. And it was, because of, because you know, of trans, uh, the trans community has a rough relationship with the police. He doubled down on the lie. And you're just like, dude, like... You, the, yeah, but I think, police, I think the police came out again and said, no, that's not, that's not what happened. Graffiti was being uh, conducted. Mm. And that's where the argument was around the graffiti. Nothing to do with his political status. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a whole different path we can go down. It's just the Victorian <laughs> politics right now. Um, I'm not saying Australia is any better as a whole, but Victoria is definitely taking the cake it's for dumpster fire. Oh, just, it's just, just there's corruption at every corner. There's, you know, these, these politicians now. Oh, we're being threatened and all this. I don't condone violence, but at the same time, I don't. I don't if someone's abusing you, giving you a, sh- a spiel in public, goes goes with the grain after what you've done, you know. And, and I, I don't condone it. But I can I understand the frustration of these people. Everyday people, on hey, open your business for a week, close it for a month. Open for a day, close it for a day. Open uh, that was. You can't it, conduct business like it's that. It's arguably better to just stay shut that two years for your mental health because you're like, okay, I know I'm going to be shut for a year or two. As bad as that is, it's worse on on off on off on off. It's like it's mental torture for all, a small all, business. All your savings you had there that you're going to be spending for stock and then losing that stock and then buying Especially more the, stock. The hospitality industry, which you you know you were both in, it's like oh, I have a friend that's a caterer. Um, he he had a massive job during that Valentine's Day lockdown weekend, right? Mm. Ordered all his stock. It was a ten thousand dollar job. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, food prep. Ordered all the food Thursday. 8 p.m. snap lockdown for the weekend. And he's like, what do I do with all this food now? Like, yeah. and, and he can't legally, by the food code, technically you're not supposed to donate it to a shelter, like all that kind of stuff. And you're just like, like what is going on? Like you, you just can't do that to people, but they're going to sit there and then tell us that they're, they're the right government for us moving forward. It's just um, despicable. We're the government and we're here to help. That's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't start me on that. All right, Ian, yeah, I, Ian um, you have some breaking breaking news, some names um, for us uh, that you mentioned to me before we set this interview up. So I'm looking forward to this. What, what do you have for us? So when we're talking about Community Chef and we're talking about their board of directors, so we've got John Christofferson, ex-director of Cabbage Schweppes. Hayden Raysmith was an ex-director uh, in, the, 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 in the equivalent of DHHS. You've got John Betty. Benny, rather, CEO of the City of Greater Dandenong, Public Service Medal. Sandra Hills, Order of Australia Medal, CEO of Benitas. Bill Jabour, CEO of Brimbank, 40 years in local, 40 years in local government. Uh, Robert Andrew Meek, he goes by the name Andrew. Uh, CEO of AW Bell, they manufacture components for the aerospace industry, won awards. And then you've got um, Michael Ulbrich, who's a management consultant, very qualified, director of different um, uh, organisations. So these guys are all qualified directors. Now, on the morning of the 22nd of February 2019, John Benny, the night before, declared a conflict of interest to Brett Sutton, said he couldn't sign the closure order. Now, did he leave the room and exclude himself? 
No. We have witnesses that will, that will testify. He stayed in that room and he stayed to discuss the whole of the closure process of iCook Foods. So by virtue of his position as CEO, he comes in, uh, he has all this information. The following morning, he goes to a board meeting of our competitor, a private company. He steals that information from the city of Greater Dandenong and he takes it to my competitor. Before the wider market knows anything, John Benny has told his directors all about what's happened to iCook Foods. Then his directors act on that information. What they should have done is say, John, you can't talk about that. Not here in this, there's a conflict of interest. You, this is a breach of section 184 of the Corporations Act. But no, they didn't, they acted on it. And what did that mean? That mean that those guys acted on it. In the 30s, remember we were closed for 30 days. On that same report, if you go to the end, they declare how much they generated from iCook Foods um, to the 31st of March. So that's 37 days. In that 37 days, they generated over $97,000 in extra sales revenue, which annualised becomes 900, just short of a million, $964,000, right? Trading on information that nobody else had at the time. Now, if you look at Section 184 of the, of the um, Corporations Act, it's clear about, what, uh, about using information that you get from one company to, uh, or from, from one corporation to another corporation. The thing about that is the city of Dandenong is a corporation and he is the, the CEO. That information was private, sensitive and confidential. Still acting CEO, mind you, but um, insider trading is the word, really. I was going to say, for, lay, people, for layman's, it's yeah, for insider people that, trading. That, that are yeah, in stocks. Look, and for those who don't know what that means, that means that if I'm acting on information that I've received from being on a board um, to then go and know a, a stock is going to plummet, hey, I know McDonald's has a health issue, they're going to have to close stores, blah, 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 bankruptcy, I can then go and short that stock knowing it's going to fall or vice versa. Like, um, go and buy up big yeah, and Hungry Jacks. Hungry Jacks is getting bought. Yeah, or, or Hungry Jacks is potentially getting bought by McDonald's, by McDonald's, you know, whatever exactly. it is. That's insider trading. You cannot, you cannot act on that for a reason because it can manipulate the market. This is essentially that, quote, unquote. Yeah, look, um, insider trading is specifically related to securities and shares, just as you've just described. Um, this, this, this has all the feel and look of the same sort of thing, um, but the corporation's law is there. You cannot use information from one organisation to another to benefit yourself or another person or another organisation. And that's exactly what he did. And so we, we will be making um, complaints federally uh, to, to hopefully get some action. So you're claiming that the other people in that room should, I mean, they obviously should have it's known enough. It's, they, the, it's their obligation as directors. To put their hand up and say, hey, you can't talk about this. So it's not so much that they're just guilty by association by John Benny. They're actually, they've actually committed a crime. By allowing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah John Benny can come out and with uh, it. But hold they, on. They acted on it. Yes. I, I, yeah. know, I know the question from Andrew though, Dad, is... You know, in that, room. in that room, in that moment, if 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 we're sitting here now and I said something to you, you can stop me and say, Ben, strike that from the minutes. That's not to be spoken about. That's a conflict of interest. But stop now, you know, yeah, and, and not, strike it I, out. Not one of how many gentlemen didn't say anything. No, yeah, just let me put it away. 
uh, I was sitting in a meeting with Robert Richter and he asked me a couple of questions and I told him what I knew about Community Chef from the board papers. He stopped me immediately and he said, how did you get that information? Because if I secured that information illegally, he, he would say, Ian, you can't tell me this, that's a crime. And he, what, were you there, Ben? I can't remember. Um, I, I was in this meeting with and he, he was very specific. We had to show him how we got the information, and then he was satisfied, he was fine. Those directors should have stopped John Benny and said, John, how do you know this information? And he said, oh, well, because I heard about it last night of the closure. They said, well, well, well hang on. That's, that's confidential information from the city of Dandenong. You can't repeat that to us here. We can't use this. But they didn't. They took, effectively, they used stolen goods. I don't know if that's a police thing. But that information was effectively stolen information and they acted on it. Well, it, it, you know, Section 34 of the Food Act, you know, that the statute of limitations has now expired on that. So there's nothing we can do there. But, <clears throat> excuse me, he... Um, Section 34 says, you know, you can't trade off information learned from an uh, from a lab report. Certificate of analysis. Thank you. Certificate of analysis, or a lab report of the, the swabs and samples that were taken, which is what John Benny did. Yeah. He learned of the listeria due to the certificates of analysis that came back. Yeah, due to, his, due to who he was in council. So and then, yeah. sec <laughs> Section 34 of the Food Act he broke. He's broken the Corporations Act. I mean, he's got, a, he's got a lot to answer for. Yeah, and back to the point of this is the exact reason why councils should not be involved. You know, how, how you can be on the board, how you can be involved with rival businesses to private businesses is just mind-boggling. This is a prime example of why it should not happen. You know, it just should not happen because the conflict of interest is just... It's, if, they, it's, if they wanted to enter into Community Chef, they should have entered into Community Chef and then relinquished their their power as a relevant authority over I Cook Foods to the state. You know what, Andrew? This is like this is like a um, you know whoever the inspector in charge of the vice squad owning a brothel. <laughs> Fitzgerald inquiry, right? <laughs> Brisbane. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Look, if you're John Benny and you want to invest in Community Chef, I argue step down as your as your role as as. Well, it's not just John Benny. It's, it's, it's the, the whole thing. But I'm saying, if you want to be involved in that, it's like... Off you go. You know, it's like me investing in a, in a betting company and then getting a sponsorship from, from government money for, you know, anti-betting rhetoric, <laughs> right? Like, you know, be, you know, it's like you can't you can't do... Step down from one to take the other. That's can't like, wear two hats. No, you can't. Um, but, you know, around the councils, I've got a few examples and we'll get on to um, garlic a little bit now. So a friend of mine, uh, he owns a cafe... He's dealt with you know health inspectors before so much so he's a bit of a, a bit of a hothead. Um, been in the industry for what three four decades now. Um, he has the health inspectors show up to his premises and, and he's a cafe in an industrial area. So his his busy periods are seven stone every day. He knows when truckers and everyone's coming through for that flood of morning traffic and then there's an afternoon bout usually from twelve to one thirty where he's like you know chocolate blockers right and. These, these, you know, the health inspectors would come and they'd come smack bang right in the middle of his trade period. And he would, he would, when it first started, he was essentially told him to leave. He's like, you cannot be here right now. I'm too busy. I have a, you know, an ode to my customers to serve them. Um, so much so that he'd be like, take a seat. I'll, I'll get the girls to make you a coffee. You're going to have to wait till 1.30, 2 o'clock. And they were, they were, you know, they're so arrogant. They'll throw it back. But you can't do that. I'm a health inspector. He's like, I'm not, I'm not entertaining anything you're saying. This is my time, my peak time of business. Get on with it. 
and it's just amazing how thrown back they are because they just they hold so much power like garlic you know strutting into your premises you know i'm a big shot this that and you're just like man like what is going on like there has to be some sort of human interaction with these people but it just goes to show that in the public service you're a law you're a law to your own they're on a power trip to to yourself you can do what you want but just a prime example when leading into you know what garlic did and and we talk about her showing up for 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 the health inspection you know what 12 o'clock during the day yeah that's it she didn't come she didn't come when we we were starting production she didn't come to actually look she came middle of the day and we started at at 4 a.m in the morning you know so why wasn't she there why wasn't she there when we were starting to see how we were pulling the um products out and you know getting the the preparation manufacturing the actual nuts and bolts of what we do rather than coming in at the tail end of the day yeah no doubt yeah look let's let's just deal with let's just deal with the 18th okay so she comes in the 18th she comes in at midday as ben just pointed out we start at 4am in the morning and just like your friend if she if she's there when he's selling the food then the horse has bolted if he's been doing something wrong he's already feeding he's fed the people exactly all right exactly right if if you if you want to do it what you need to be able to do is you come in and you watch the food handling, you watch the way they're processing, you look at the cleanliness of the facility from that point of view. Garlic never saw it. And here's, here's the thing. Garlic didn't see our production at all. And yet, now that's on the 18th. On the morning of the 19th, she has a team meeting where they discuss one, whether or not they can, whether whether or not they can charge me under Section Eight, which is two years jail of the Food Act, and they say, how can we keep, how can we close iCook Foods? And there are effectively three plus the Food Act, four options. How do you write notes about how you're going to close someone when you haven't actually seen them producing? It just shows that the whole thing was premeditated. And it just shows the arrogance, which is what you're talking about with your friend. These people think they have these God-given power to come in and disrupt and that you just have to bow. Now, look, we're happy to do anything that any health inspector ever wanted done. And we've done things we didn't have to do, but we did it you know, to keep the peace. But if, it, if, if people like your friend and others and us don't stand up now, these people will, will be more emboldened to go out and just be arrogant and raise money, do whatever they want. I think the best advice that um, I can give anyone is have a cop- printed copy of the Food Standards Code, have a printed copy of the Food Act, read it, know what's relevant to you, abide by it, obviously, because that is the law. That's what you must do. And when a, a, when a health inspector does come in and does point out things that they believe are in, con- in contravention, you know, not right, recommendations ask them to reference where that is show you in the act show you in the code show you where you are not doing it right and help you in their role as an authorized officer help you in in you as a a business operator get to the right standard if you are indeed in contravention if you're not and they're just pulling your leg and 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 doing whatever they like because they have a god complex then pull them up on it have it there to say well you're wrong it's not in the code it's not there don't try and make me do something because what, what these people don't understand is how to run a business. I mean, you still, you still have to pay to get all that cleaning done or implement a new sink or redo, you know, 
whatever the shelving or whatever the, the case may be. And I don't think they understand how to run a business. It needs to be a compromise. It needs to know what is law, what must happen, and you must spend the money to do the things that are required. But if they're just going off on a on a frolic to say, oh, you need to have this now and you need to have this now, no. You, you show me where it says that in the act and then I'll do it. Yeah, and you, you also mentioned um, off camera last time that wear, wear, wear a body cam if you can, right? When they come inspect no, you. you know, 100%. Just for, just for your own protection. You yeah. never know film what might police, get planted. Film the inspectors. <laughs> you know what? Any, any business around, go. I think it's Jayco. You can go and get, I think it's $100, $120. Cheapest insurance you can buy. It's a little clip on one, clips onto your pocket. As soon as they turn up, you should have it on. Uh, by the way, Section 21A of the Victorian Food Act says that, a, uh, that an authorised officer, so that's the health inspector, can enter a premises at any reasonable time. Entering your premises and preventing you from trading or causing grief while you are trading is not reasonable. Mm. Can, you can you legally shadow the health inspector the whole time? You can, right? Yes. 100%. Well, and to your other point, Ian, about, about garlic showing up at, at, at midday and, or showing up to you know, my, my friend's shop at you know, lunchtime, is they'd have to wake up early, mate. They'd have to, the council, <laughs> they're, they're, they're public service. You know, you'd have to set your alarm clock. What time do you guys open doors? 5 a.m.? Generally? No, we were at 3 30 to 4, 4 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, so you'd, to show up and catch you guys in the act of doing something that wasn't clean, how was your prep the night before? You'd have to, show, you'd have to set that alarm for 3 a.m. garlic. You know, I can't do that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on a public service salary. I wake up at, at, at 8 30. I'm you know, at work by 9 9 30. I, I have to stop and do something. You know, that, that, that's the problem. Another example about, about the health code is. Um, so my, the same friend, he has, a, he has a little safe in his cafe, a little lockbox, mm. and a health inspector demanded him to open that. Um, I'm not sure what the, what the ruling, yeah, what yeah, the ruling is around that. And, and, and my, friend, my friend was like, mate, I'm not, that's, I've got my personal items and I've got employees' personal items in there. They're not, they're not, he's made a principle. Like it was nothing stupid. It was like well, uh, purses, wallets, whatever, and you must open this part of the, the health inspector code. And it just, just goes back to the arrogance of these people and he's like, I'm not opening it. Like, get out of my shop. And yeah. did, like you said, didn't battle him and nothing came of it. And he's like, mate, this is a, this is a, these are personal items. I don't have to open they this have, for you. They have no right no, to do They have that. no power no power to do that. No, none whatsoever. All right, so I sent this article. This is really, really interesting and it, and it kind of correlates to your story to an extent. Um, you both read it. I, I you know, highly recommend anyone to read this. It's on my Twitter page. I've posted the links um, to my Instagram as well. And there's just so much to dig with this. But there was an article that popped up on ABC, a very good article um, for, for, from ABC. I, I must say it was very, very well researched, probably of the, the old school ilk we were just talking about. They were digging very in, digging, in digging. depth. Very in depth. I mean, they've got satellite photos, heat maps, everything, right? It's um, to do with the Victoria, uh, Victorian... Victorian ash, Victorian forests, um, is sourced from Victoria's lush native forests, logged by the state government-owned logging company, Vic Forests, and processed at the Hayfield Mill, which the government owns a 49 stake in, coincidentally, right? So we move on and on and on. You know, the MO was essentially to, 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 to basically have all the regrowth. As much as they lose, they regrow, they replant, they make sure the regeneration's there. You know, all part of the, the climate um, change spiel our politicians give us around every election. But he, here's a gem that you boys will like, or you gentlemen, sorry. Um, despite being a for-profit company and receiving $21 million in funding from the government, Vic Forrest reported a $4.7 million loss in its most recent annual report. Where have I heard that before? 
Uh, that's Why am I not surprised? Yeah, community Chef is um, pretty much the same thing. Millions of dollars in grants and loans and then posting losses every year on year. I mean, one and the same. So that's a, that's $26 million that cost the taxpayer, roughly. Um, and that's, hang on, you, you, that's for that's the most recent that. That's the most recent, uh, yeah, yeah. How many years How many years has Vic Forest been in? Who knows, in? good question, I mean, good question. Go back on and look at that. How many years have they posted losses? And how, how long is that going to keep going for? But just just another example, and, and you look at this article, um, you're like, how many more are there? How many more government-funded, you know, absolute shit shows? Like, if this was the private sector, this business would be on, on its knees within six months and you'd be out of there and spat out. Like, you're not... You, $21 million in funding and still managed to lose $4.7 million. Is this washing money? Is this a favour for a friend? Is this jobs for the boys? Is this a political favour done by an independent five years ago that's now got a contract? Who knows? But that is that is just blatant. Damning. That yeah. is damning. And I think um, what, what is interesting to me in that article as well is the, the growback of, um, grow of the... The, the plantation, what they say is that their motto as Vic Forest, they say, we grow it back. And, and they say that their sustainability pitch is around the claim that every tree they remove and log is then grown back. Well, in that ABC article, you look at the... Oof, uh, it's alarming. You look at... The, it's just like a desolate wasteland of, of dead trees and grass. I mean, it's not... I mean, as you read the article, it tells you they need to grow it back to the state it was before. I mean, I... Uh, I have a mate who, um, since reading this and, and, and had a chat to him, who works in the agribusiness uh, sector, he um, of of banking. So he, he works out in um, sort of Borbor and, and out that way of Victoria. And some of the, the farmers he knows out there with logging and, and that kind of thing, he, um, he said that they know about Vic Forests, they don't do what they say, and they undercut everyone in the market and, and just basically are leaving the forests for dead and they're not doing the sustainability, which are Not even close. Like it's it's 40% of the trees taken from Victoria's native forest get turned into timber. Most of the rest is rest is pulp for paper and cardboard, also marketed as sustainable, so recyclable toilet paper and, and, and whatnot. Um, but on their own website, at the heart of Vic Forest sustainability pitch is the claim that every tree they remove is grown back. We grow it back is a motto on their on their website. That's it. Um, I think I think the other funny thing today, Albanese has uh, Anthony Albanese has uh, has settled on a climate target, and it came out well, just as I was uh, coming to you today, and he claimed their target of forty three percent reduction in emissions by twenty thirty. He might want to have a look at big forests and see that you know if you actually cut trees out, you need to plant them back if he wants to achieve those emissions targets. No doubt, and that, that, <laughs> that's the problem with all this. It's like every every election year or leading up, there's the climate targets and all that kind of stuff. It's like where's where, extinction rebellion protesters? Where, where are you with this? Because this is the, this is the political party of, of a favor for yourself. Where are you protesting this? This is blatant. It, it even goes on to say. Sections of, uh, of, of log state forests have been classified as regenerated despite not even being so and have been handed back to the public as little more than weed-infested forests. So here, private sector, have this back and, and use it. Use it for a park for the kids or maybe a private sector can buy it and log it themselves. There's nothing left. Mm. But they've actually noted it as regenerated. Oh, we've, we've put everything back. Yeah, it's not. And who's, who's looking at them to make sure they're doing it? But the reason why I brought that up, it, it's fitting before our, our podcast that... 
I read this and I flicked it off to you and I was like, holy shit, how is... And I just quietly slipped through with, with so much shit happening to the Victorian government, so much corruption, the pandemic bill, the protests, this just quietly has slid by. by and it, it, was a, it was a fantastic article, so I highly recommend for people to read that, but fits in perfectly with what you what you both have gone through. Um, I might do some further research on that, see how much uh, the previous years, how many lo- years <sighs> losses, $4.7 million. I mean... That is not something to be sneezed at. I mean, it's, that's without it's, startup costs. So they're already functioning. So you, you do the math. It was probably more. It probably lost more in the first couple of years because you got all the machinery, all the equipment, all the workforce. Correct. Probably have to put people up in hotels in that area to log. You know, like whatever it is. It's going to be big, oh, man. It's going to be really big. Do we know who owns the other half? Oh, you're talking John about John Benny. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, no, um, you're, you're talking about the hay. That was a joke, John. Don't don't sue me. Where that. Uh, you're talking about the Hayfield Mill. Um, so yeah. my understanding is Vic Forest is owned wholly by the state government and then the Hayfield Mill is, 49, is 49%, 49% owned. owned. So, so they own the mill. and <laughs> they own, Yeah, 49% of the mill. So they go and log log the, uh, the, the forests and then sell that logged mm. forest to their owned mill and they still post a loss. It'd be interesting to know how many state-owned corporations across Victoria are posting losses and any of that is being siphoned off into and then you go back to if you're in the private sector logging they they've made you out as as you know you know you're not sustainability extremists probably yeah sustainability demons you don't care about the environment these guys are just copping down oh me building a house they're taking down you're just taking down what 30 percent of the tree footprint got absolutely frowned upon these guys are just gutting a forest but it's the right political party so that's okay just don't look over there let's look over here but let's get on to some questions from our followers, a lot of people follow this case. They, they've really been passionate about it, much like myself. And we have some some pretty good questions. The first one comes from Hamish Timms. It says, what are their plans if they do end up getting justice in the end? Will they resume operations or is it too far gone now being out of the market for so long? Yeah, uh, the other there's two parts to that. One, being out of the market for so long is obviously an issue. The second issue is um, even though we have enormous support, They've trashed the name I Cook Food, so it it couldn't start. Maybe you can rebrand, you can have a startup, but yep, it's um, this it it's very hard to come back from this. Also, the thing that I've learnt, and as Ben's pointed out before, I'm not um, on social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, um, if you Google either I Cook Foods or Sluggate, you bring up a whole lot of um, information, good and bad, and it's there forever. So. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Yes, yes, we would like to um, get moving again, and uh, in one way or another, we will. But it won't be as I cook foods. Yeah, the the internet is a giant filing cabinet forever, you know, for the most part. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, you know, you, you don't have the years gone by where a news article is put out by a journal. It's in the it's in the Age or it's in the Herald Sun, and then next minute, t- tomorrow's news is is gone and. It gets archived and it sits away and no one really finds it ever again unless you go specifically digging for it. All you need to know is a key word now and the internet will do a, a quick search and within 0.003 seconds, Google said, here's all the latest on iCook Foods or Sluggate or whatever that, that might be. And, you know, my dad's name, you know, the brand he developed, you know, iCook Foods, Ian Cook. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, is, it is synonymous <laughs> with each other. I mean, he, did, he spent his whole life's work to get that going and get it to where it was and it was destroyed in an instant and a heartbeat and that was without it was like without any thought it was it was a reckless decision 
and that and that Brett Sutton stood there and said it was it was iCook Foods, they're the sole supplier. Parliamentary inquiry, they they the second time round, Angela Bone had to come out and Dr Sutton had to come out and say, oh well, yeah, we actually got that wrong. They weren't the sole supplier. Well, you, you said it there and then. You, and that was you a, shot one of your, the main reasons for closure, yeah. You shot, you shot at that um, media uh, press conference and wanted to be the big acting chief health officer who, look at me, I, I've saved the day. No, you didn't. Yeah. You're a... <coughs> Funnily enough, he's yeah. disappeared. Where is he? I haven't he's, seen him. doesn't show his face very much uh, yeah, yeah. over the last Under couple why. of months. There's, there's a lot of theories around that. But next one, uh, Travis White. Have, you, have they, have you, have you traced the missing money from Community Chef? Okay, I can, I can tell you the path, I can't tell you the recipient. So if you go back, when, when the parliamentary inquiry asked Joe Cicerone, the CEO, how much money had been given by DHHS to Community Chef, uh, he said he couldn't give it there and then he'd have to send it in afterwards. Now remember, that's at the end of the financial year of um, 18, 18, 19, right? So it's June 9, that's right, June, Hang on, no, it was June 20, wasn't it, the parliamentary inquiry? Correct. Yeah, sorry, it was the 1920 financial year. So Community Chef, he declares that um, in that financial year, they got 700 and, I think it's 56 or 59, $759,000, give or take a couple of thousand, that figure. So that's what he declares. But... The department, when they give money to Community Chef, they put it in their figures, because they call it a loan, they put it in their figures as an asset. So asset in Community Chef, and it's a, a, a liability, sorry, asset in Department of Health, liability in Community Chef. So uh, when they released their figures, um, and my brother's a forensic accountant, and, and a very good one, he went through it, they didn't, they didn't get 756000 They got $3.3 million. Now, remember, this is at the time when the department is buying Community Chef for $17. Why did you give them $3.3 million in cash? Is it, you, you, you almost have to pause there and think about that. So there's $3.3 million. Now... Where did that $3.3 million go? I don't know. And that's why there needs to be an inquiry into this. I can tell you though, in the 21 figures for the Department of Health that he's just gone through recently, where that used to show up as an asset, it's been written off, it's gone. Vanished. I assume someone's, Vanished. someone's renovated their house. <laughs> Someone's possibly driving a, a nice luxury car, Ferrari, potentially. So we'll probably have to look into into the individuals. But that's absolutely mind-boggling. That, just been slipped uh, yeah, into the web. Oh yeah, you know what? I have other theories, and my theories probably go along the lines of um, half of it's gone to get up, and the other half has gone to pamphlets for the Labor Party. Potentially, why not? Might as well use it for, for good for your own party, as we know the the red shirts and mm. everything else going on. So use money well spent. All right, next one, Sana Kurban. How is there? How is your mental health having to fight such a corrupt system? It's good. We um, we're a strong family, and and like I said, the, the support um, has been amazing over the journey. I mean, certainly the the twenty nineteen year was extremely tough um, on you know myself, my dad, my uncle, my mum, my, my sister. You know, our um, our friends who who supported us through our staff. You know, and it. 
it has only got easier in terms of learning to deal with it. It hasn't taken the pain away. The pain is every day. You know, it doesn't stop. But in terms of learning to deal with it and learning to um, to understand that emotion um, and that mental state, I mean, there's days where I'm a wreck, you know, and, and it's not great. But I know that I've got my dad. I know that I've got my mum. I've got my fiancé. I've got my sister. I've got you know, different avenues for support. I've got, um, you know, my dad is there for when he's down that I can be there for him and vice versa. And I think that's the biggest thing that we've learned out of this process. And I think that that expands further from just I Cook Foods. Anyone who's going through sort of hardship from whether it's coronavirus affecting their businesses and not knowing what to do and finding themselves in a, in a mental crisis is talk to your loved ones if you can. You know, if 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 you have the opportunity to to tell someone, sometimes it's hard to open up. It's hard to to tell someone how you're actually feeling. But tears, anger, all those stages of different levels of grief need to come out because it's not good if you bottle it up. And that's what I've learned. And I know my dad's learned that along the way. Um, it's not easy. I'm not saying that <laughs> it's a walk in the park. It's not. You have to sit there and and take a deep breath and really be frank with yourself. Um, and, and I'd suggest that for everyone out there. I mean, if you're going through hardship with your own business and, and coronavirus closures and lockdowns and things like that, is if you have the opportunity to talk to someone, do it. Are you okay, Day? Uh, sorry, last one is that are you okay, Day is there for that reason, but are you okay, Day should be every day. Yeah. And it should be talked about as much as you can because it helps to get it off your chest. I think fighting back also helps your mental health I think when you push someone into a corner so that they've got nothing left to lose... Most um, dangerous people. Yeah. There, there was the old expression about never fight a jealous man. Why? Because he's got something to fight for. And, um, and, and I think that is important. But I, I would also say, just as Ben has said, that whoever it is, whether it's us, whether it's someone, because there are a number of businesses through no fault of their own have had their businesses destroyed through this coronavirus fiasco, um, you know what, go and see your local doctor and have a chat with a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, professional help is good. It doesn't mean you're a nutter. What it means is that someone helps you put things in perspective and that does help you move forward. Now, you know, you might go and see someone and you end up in tears while you tell your story, etc. But that's it. It's the release valve. If you bottle it up, you will explode. Don't bottle it up. And I would assume that it's been probably... There's no easier, but the initial part of this, the start, probably the first 20, 30, 40, 50%, when you're like, holy shit, this has happened, holy shit, this has happened, holy shit, well, wow, we've been, this is corruption, they've cheated us here, like that would probably be the hardest part. Whereas now you're in a position where kind of most of the stuff's out on the table and you, you're formulating your case, there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. You, you, if I can, yeah, I agree. From, from my perspective, is we lived our lives the way most people in the community live their lives. You pay your taxes, you operate your business, you go about your business in your life. Once this all happened and you do start to go down that, um, that well of corruption that you start to be um, aware of and, and see what's actually happened. And called a liar, called a cheat, uh, called a conspiracy, yeah. a theory at the parliamentary inquiry. 100%. Yeah, sitting there in the first inquiry, I reckon I ground my two back molars down because you're not allowed to say anything. And I, I sit there and you have to listen to it. You wear it. But you know what? At the end of the day, 
I know what's right in me, my dad knows what's right in him, and we will keep fighting. And that's the point is that, you know, you did call us those things. You did destroy our business. But you know what? We're a strong a strong family unit who has said, this is wrong. We're standing up for this. We're going to fight this, and we're going to hold you to account. If you think that we're just going to go and lick our wounds in the uh, suburbs and leave Brett Sutton, the Andrews government, and their decisions, the Danon Council, leave you alone, you're damn well wrong. Mm. You mess with the Can right I also say, Yeah, from that point of view, is that, um, so yes, you're right, Andrew, uh, Sutton and John Benny particularly uh, called, you know, accused us of, a con- of being conspiracy theorists, of all sorts of things. Um, n- none of them will say that outside of Parliament because that would be defamation and that would give me another course of action against them. Can I say that I've said a whole heap of things that if they were untrue would be defamatory about uh, people like John Benny, Elizabeth Garlick and Leanne Johnson. And yet not, I, not, not, I'm not afraid of saying it outside on the street because it's the truth. So you can't, and they haven't. If, 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 they, if they were right, they would have sued me for defamation by now, I assure you. Um, John Benny actually went to the council. According to one of the councillors, uh, John Benny asked the council for a heap of money to, um, to at least start a defamation action against me. And he, he was told by the councillor, listen, buddy, you earn over $400,000 a year. You want, a, you want a legal battle? You want to fight for defamation? You go and fund it yourself. I've milked enough money from you. Just give me a bit more. Well, I've already got, you know, that's it. But yeah, imagine, imagine, yeah, you've got a defamation case and you ask your boss, Hey, uh, can you just fund this for me? I need to sue this bloke. <laughs> just imagine the balls just asking for that. Well, I think I it think shows it, sheer arrogance, and it shows yes. that it shows well similar done. things have been passed before as well. Mm. That this this yeah. towing the line of oh, it's frowned upon, but I might get it over the line. Someone might sign it without reading it properly. That that's happened before. That's what it tells me as well. I think you see that throughout. <clears throat> excuse me, a, a number of different councils um, over the last eighteen months, two years. Different councils have come out with corruption and, um, you know, you've got the investigation at Casey, you've got Moreland <laughs> City Council under, you know, different things with the, the IBAC and Operation Watts. I think a, a lot of the councils, the CEOs, managers, whatever, they do things that they don't think will be questioned. And I think the biggest thing is that the society is learning that we need to hold people accountable. When you're given the power, you're given an authorization to use that power, then you must use it within the confines of the law. Don't go off and start deciding your judge, jury and executioner of what's going to happen because the minute you do that, there are going to be people like us who stand up and say, we're holding due account on that. And don't go and try and use ratepayers' money to fund a defamation case against us Mm. because it's not on. Those decisions you make must be made within the confines of the law, otherwise it makes our our system a joke. Yeah, the fact that he's still acting... He's high up there at, uh, what is he, CEO of Dandenong Council. Uh, he's, he's the longest serving CEO of Dandenong City Council, I think it's 16 or 17 mm, years. He's still there after all this, just, you know, the board at least have to have to go, look, this just does not smell right. There's no there's no conviction yet, nothing like that, but we, you know, you're wrapping up in a year, but, they're, but he's still there. Next, next, que- next, next question. I'll next. just say there's an open investigation by Victoria Police. Why hasn't Brett Sutton stood down whilst that investigation? He, he's named on the briefing note by Ash Penry as a person of interest. So is John Benny. Wouldn't, if, if that was a private enterprise, they would stand down. The board would pending make investigation. Them, pending the investigation. Why hasn't Brett well, he Sutton? he can't because he's the face of the coronavirus restrictions in yeah, Melbourne. No, 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 he can. 
He uh, can. There are there are plenty no, of no, people who are qualified. Politically, though. Politi- oh no, Andrew, I get you. Yeah. But he can. Yeah. Let's put politics aside and let's look at the society we live in. Mm. Brett Sutton, you should have stood down. There's someone who can take your shoes. Easily, yeah. I John mean, Benny, why didn't you stand down? There's people who can take your shoes. Mm. You're arrogant and you're in the wrong and we're coming for you. Won't admit it. Next one, Chris Pez. If any of the individuals get sued and settle, um, pre, does this put any more pressure on the DPP to open the criminal proceedings? So essentially if someone came, you know, John Benny said, look, you know, he, he's, or Dandong City Council says, we're going to settle, just, just shut up, make it disappear. Does that, can that then be used later on or can it put pressure on the DPP? There's two, two things in that. They're, they're talking about a criminal proceeding. We, we're in a civil proceeding. So okay. it, it is two separate, completely separate things. Criminal uh, is, is conducted by the police. Um, civil is something that yeah. you, you action yourself within the courts. So um, it's two separate things. And it can't, one can't be used for the other, obviously. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, well, no, no. What, no what, what can happen, though, <laughs> is this. And, and one of the reasons that we are so pleased to have Robert Richter on board is that if, um, you know, let's put Elizabeth Garlick on the stand. By the time Robert Richter is finished with Elizabeth Garlick and her perjury, then the judge will caution her on the stand because she will effectively be incriminating herself. Now, if she then says, I don't want to answer any more questions, that's just as bad. And and she certainly has to answer questions when they're asked. So that's why having someone of his calibre who knows criminal law, that doesn't make the DPP and or the police do anything but it certainly would embarrass them into a position where they should do something. Dad, if, if you explain misfeasance to people listening, because I think that's something that is, is not common. Misfeasance cases aren't raised all the time in, in civil uh, matters. And so... Yeah, well, misfeasance is wrongdoing in public office. Now, the, um, the thing you have to understand about misfeasance is misfeasance is described as an intentional tort. So torts, are, uh, you have torts and crimes. A tort is what happens in the civil courts. A crime is obviously in the criminal courts. But you can have the tort of, um, of assault and battery. That is both a tort and a crime. So misfeasance is a tort and a crime. Now, they, by saying they're intentional torts, they're intentional in torts because someone intended to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't by mistake. They actually, they actually set out to do what they did. Um, it's, also, it's also something that they say is often difficult to prove, but the cases that, did, that have got up, like Naomi, like um, the Brett Cattle case in the federal government, uh, in the federal sphere, is because the evidence is there. It's crystal clear. What I discussed with you before about the premeditation of closing us from that meeting on the 19th, the meeting notes we've got of Garlics, that shows premeditation. She's never seen the processes. The issue of the 19W notice, premeditation, they are intentional acts that that woman did against us to ensure we were closed. I'll just jump in there. That was off camera that we talked about that and for everyone listening, that that is information we got out of the FOI from Danny Nong and Elizabeth Garlic has made notes about trying to get my dad on Section 8. Now, Section 8 is an indictable offence under the Food Act. So that was where she was trying to get notes on on how to get dad into jail (laughs) then on top of that this is on the 19th i mean this is one day after she's come in at midday for two hours 
and she's looking how to get my dad in jail. She's looking at can she use the Public Health and Wellbeing Act? No, she can't because we're regulated by the Food Act. She's looking at can we get a magistrate to uh, get involved? Can the police order some sort of um, issuance against them? And finally, um, is there anything from building in compliance? The issue at the start of iCook Foods was listeria yeah <laughs> why are you even looking at trying and getting us closed by is building anything in compliance? we can do is there anything we can find to get correct get this and not only that she, you were the first commercial facility she visited right yeah that's right she correct. was small time cafe restaurant type inspection Fish and ship shop that yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah welcome so final right let's, let's wrap up the last question led technique um this is one that a fair few people ask um um, so this would be good to answer. Can you sue specifically for the slug alone instead of the entire case? So I guess their, their mindset is that, as was discussed before, there's just so much that leads into it that sometimes people get lost in it. I guess mm. the average punter listening to it. Mm. Is there a way you can do it? Would you even bother doing it one, one small detail at a time? You know, uh, if you talk to the retired detectives, um, they'll tell you when you get to court, you can never have, uh, you can never have too much evidence. In terms of, to answer this person's question, um, that, that would hinge the, the whole case on the, on, the, on the evidence of just the slug. What we need to do, and it's a bit like filling a bucket, you know, one drip doesn't fill the bucket, but every lie of this woman. So if she's on the stand, the slug, everybody gets it because it's such a, an out there horrendous thing to have done. And that's why the media picks it up. Yeah, that's why the hashtag is Sluggate. But if we were to, if we put the clip of the jacket up, or we put the clip of the sponge up, or any of those things, by the time, because those are concrete evidence items, by the time you step through those with a judge, and you say, all right, Miss Garlic, explain this, 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 and she's dead in the water on those ones. By the time you get to about um, lie ten or twelve, then the judge, and then the judge hears the story of the slug. That's it. It's all over. He'll agree with that as well. Yeah, it makes sense. There's just too many, like too, said, too many tentacles. You, you start, like we said earlier in the podcast, where do you start telling this story? Do you go back all the way to 2009 when community, or 2007 when Community Chef was starting to be um, initiated with the grants and work your way through from there? And your letter, do, you start, and yeah. do, do you start from when Garlic came in on the 18th? I mean, there, there is, and then once you do have the start of the story, You've then got Vic Paul, you've got Community Chef, you've got John the, Benny, the parliamentary yeah. inquiries, you've got the Department of Health, Brett Sutton, you know, the pre-discovery action we've already gone through in the Supreme Court, we've got the current... Sharing of privileged information, yeah, all, it just all, goes on and on and on. There is so much to it. It's yeah. like you can't just take the slug and say, oh, yep. we'll run with that. You need to tell yeah, them Yeah, and the, pro and the other issue with the slug is, much as I would love to be just hitting that, it will be part of it, there is no doubt. Um, Brett Sutton... Uh, I doubt that Brett Sutton told Elizabeth Garlic to drop a slug in the premises, right? I think he used it, uh, and I think he, he says he didn't know about it, which is rubbish. We know that he had her reports um, that before we were closed that week. They, the reports went off to the department, which included the slug in it. But remember, we've got to sue Sutton as well. Now, when you think about Sutton, you have to think about this. He is a qualified doctor and apparently a professor of medicine. Okay, so this highly qualified, super intelligent bloke shut iCook Foods and didn't have a look at the death certificate? 
of this woman. He didn't, and, they, and yet they knew before they knew she died before they shut. They had the death certificate before they shut. That death certificate said she had um, ischemic heart disease. That's narrowing of the arteries, a very dangerous condition, and that's what precipitated pulmonary edema, and that's what killed this poor lady. Okay, the guy is a doctor and professor of medicine, and he closed us because he said she died of listeria. Yeah, and now we've got to find where he is. He's, he's uh, maybe holiday now. So the answer to uh, LED technique is no. no. Yeah, yeah, you can't go <laughs> that small. Yeah. Circling but back. I, I know a lot of people have asked just because, like you know, like we, like I said, it's there's a lot to take in for most people, and I think yep. people even listening to the inquiry would be like, oh, I didn't know that happened. I didn't know that happened. And then you forget you forget about the slug once you've got to the other ten things. So, yeah. but it, it makes total sense. You want the whole case to come together and and then go from there. Yeah, I mean we. We live in, like I said earlier, we live and breathe this every day is because they destroyed everything we had. So now we are, as as Dad said, we are now fighting to correct it and we're fighting it because we have nothing left of our cooked foods. So to, to try and do what we can to get something back, it is to hold them to account and go through minute by minute, hour by hour, letter by letter, document by document. Okay, so, so to wrap up, you're going to post that, that, that letter so everyone can see it from, from our friend Albanese. You're going to post that on your social media forums. I, w- I will. I'll tag him in and, yeah, and invite sure him down. Tag everyone in. We also need everyone out there listening to share this and write to your local, uh, what is it, local, so local MPs, MP, yeah. your local MPs about pushing a Royal Commission into this case. That will help um, down the line. So make sure you do that. And I'll leave the closing to you two gentlemen. Well, I, I'd like to say thank you. That's one thing, you know, the, the forums, <clears throat> excuse me, um, like Sam Newman's podcast, your podcast, they're, they're great. Um, and then you've got Twitter and we get so much feedback, you know, on online for support. And I don't get to always get back to everyone. So it's, it's a nice opportunity to say thank you for the support because, you know, the, the mental health question before, reading those messages of support is really nice and comforting. So thank you. So, yeah, so I'll echo everything that Ben said. That's terrific. Um, a big thank you to you, Andrew, again. It's, um, it is wonderful that people like yourself are happy to make sure that the real information is out there. And I'd also like to thank all of your listeners because it, it, it is important. And thank them very much for sharing this stuff around. It's so that everybody hears the real story. And maybe we, you know, fight a little more for democracy in Victoria. That'd be nice. We'll follow up hopefully with with some good news in the future and go from there. And thanks to everyone for listening um, in conversation series with the gentleman from iCook Foods. Uh, please share this around, show your support, you know, tweet them, uh, message them and continue to hold um, our government officials. Make sure you include them in your tweets and hold them accountable for what a shit show this is turning out to be. Thanks. No worries. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew.